glad to have each of our guests here tonight. We know we've recognized many of you already, and, and I hope that you have felt welcome in this service. Wife leaned over to me and said that we had as many as 12 guests here tonight. I'm very thankful for each of you that are here, and we're praying that the Lord would minister to you in this special service. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles and would turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. He knows the Word of God is important. Praise God. Not only what we hear when we hear the preach Word of God and the teaching of the Word of the Lord, but I believe all of us should have a relationship with our Bible, the Word of God. Read it, study it, know it, commit it to memory. Do whatever you can to get it in your heart. That's what the psalmist said, do. He said, this Word I've hid in my heart so that I might not sin against God. When you get the Word of God down in your heart, it's a defense mechanism against sin. It's a reminder to us when we, uh, in our flesh, deviate and try to go off maybe the trail that God wants us to walk. And It's a reminder to us that this is not where we belong and not what we need to be. And it gets us back on track. I'm thankful that the Word of God is powerful enough to do that. I had a, a friend of mine, Brother Shannon Stanley, has a little boy named Harrison. And he's all the time saying funny things. And uh, they were with Brother Stanley's parents a few weeks ago on vacation. And they were all gathered up in the living room area of the home that they were staying in. And uh, like a condo or something. And they were all playing Bible trivia. Grandparents with the grandkids and all the kids gathered around playing Bible trivia. And Harrison... They noticed he was kind of off in a corner. He, he wasn't getting involved. He was staying to himself. And so finally they said, hey, Harrison, won't you take a turn? Won't you come up here? Won't you play with us? He said, no, I don't want to play. They said, well, you need to. You need to get involved here. He said, he said I don't read my Bible. Now, I think he's about seven years old. He said, I don't read my Bible. Don't you go to Sunday school and don't you listen to the teacher? He said, yeah. He said, I know all that stuff about the walls of Jericho coming down. And he said, I know all the, the, the main stuff. He said, the main story. But he said, some of them questions you're asking, he said, he said, I'll just be honest with you. I don't read my Bible, so I don't know them. And I thought, you know, to myself, that reminds me of a lot of folks Amen. They don't want to play because they haven't been studying their Bible. It's hard for them to get into what God's doing. Praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you, this thing comes alive to you as you read it, as you study it. As you put your nose in this black book, you'll understand. It's not just a preacher's opinion. It's the Word of God. Hallelujah. And it has the ability to help me if I'll allow it to. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. I'll begin reading down about verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering. I'm sorry, let's let's go, let's go down a little bit. I want to read, I want to read verse 8, and then I want to jump down to later verses in the scripture. I'm getting ahead of myself. For we would not, brethren, have you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were pressed out of measure, pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had this sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust. I mean, it's thankful that you can trust him. Whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. 
For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Let's skip on down to verse 17. When I therefore were thus minded, did I use lightness or things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. I know that's King James English, but what that simply means is yes, yes, no, no. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea, it wasn't yes, it wasn't nay, it wasn't no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was, and everybody say yea, yes. For all the promises, everybody say all the promises. All the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. I want you to pay particular notice to 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And I want to preach for just a little while tonight from this subject. The power is in the yes. The power is in the yes. Would you lift up your hands one more good time here tonight? And let's pray that the Lord would help us. The remainder of this service would anoint and bless and have his way. Would you pray fervently? Come on, lift up your voice, Landmark, and let's talk to God. Dear Lord, we need you tonight. We need the touch of your spirit. We pray, God, for your help, your strength, your anointing, the power of the Holy Ghost to move in this place in the continuation of this service this evening. We desire you and your will to be done. In Jesus' name, clap your hands to the Lord. Give him thanks and praise. God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The power is in the yes. I don't know if your mind works this way or you think on things of this nature, but have you ever thought about what might be the hardest word in the English language or what the hardest word is? What is the hardest word to say? Now, I'm not just talking about the hardest word to pronounce, but the hardest word to say. What word in the Bible, or out of it for that matter, is the most difficult for us to say? Now, you have to admit that there are some names in your Bible that are challenging for you to pronounce. Some places are challenging for you to pronounce. Even us preachers sometimes get our tongue twisted around our eye teeth, trying to pronounce some of these names in the Scripture. And if you were honest, and I suppose since we're at church you would be, you would have to admit there's been times when reading your Bible that you've looked at some of these names when you're perhaps reading down through these long lineages and these passages that are such like uh, cause beget a nub, and so-and-so uh, begets so-and-so, and these names are multi-syllable names that don't really make any good sense to us in the English language. And you've read through these passages, and, and you've nodded, and you've kind of skim-read, and you got down there to the bottom of it, and you say, glory to God, that's over with, and you continue to read on. Uh, some of these names are just hard for us to pronounce, and words that are hard for us to pronounce. I, I like to listen to Alexander Scorby sometimes read the Bible because, uh, oh, Alexander, he can get it right. I mean, he can pronounce these words. I don't know what school Alexander went to, but he's a smart fella, and it helps me in the enunciation uh, 
of these words. I remember in Bible school when I was just a Bible school student back back me and Abraham Lincoln was in in school together and uh, I remember one of the classes that we had was a homiletical class and we were asked to preach and then at the school that I attended in California they had what they called they had a landmark conference every year sort of like different conferences that we know of back here uh, but this was a regional conference that this church hosted. It was called Landmark, and preachers would come in from all over the country, all over the world for that matter, and preach, and they were, that was just a highlight of the year, and we all would go to the services, be blessed by the services, and the fellowship of people from all over the world. And it was a big deal. It was something that was looked forward to. But previous to that, there in the Stockton Church, they would have what they called Student Landmark, for the students, the Bible school students, to have their day. And uh, I remember all of us that were theological uh, understudies there, we were, we were uh, majoring in theology, and we were aspiring to be preachers. This was a, a time for us to look forward to, and we didn't really know who was going to be invited to preach on that day, student landmark. They would have uh, several of us preach, and it was an interesting time because uh, you only got about five minutes to six minutes to preach. Now, if you have to prepare several hours to preach a 30-minute sermon, then you have to prepare that much more, and that might sound a little odd to you, but you have to prepare so much more to, to try to get it all fit within a five-minute sermon. And Bible school students, you'd be surprised. Uh, it was hard for them. Many of them didn't have five minutes worth to say, but they, they just kept on going anyway. And so there was uh, a man with a watch, and he would keep this thing flowing. And when you got down to about four minutes, he would hold up a sign that said, One more minute. And that was your one-minute warning. You better take note of that. And then uh, he would hold up a sign. I don't know how we still had church with all this going on. He'd hold up a sign, and it would say 30 seconds. That means you, you better start winding down, brother. And then when it came time that your time was up, he would hold up a sign. had a big red stop sign on it. It was stop. It was over with. Don't care how anointed you are. Don't care what you're feeling, how much Holy Ghost is moving, how much shouting's going on, how you feel like the crowd is with you, uh, you shut her down. After five minutes, it's over with. I'll never forget, we would look, they would put the list on the wall in the student center of who was going to preach, and I'll never forget, they come to me and they said, hey, Jason, your name is on that list. I said, you got to be kidding. I said, uh, I never spoke but." for that many people, and uh, they said, your name's on that list, and, and uh, I went over there, sure enough, it was on there, man, we were sweating, we, we was praying more than we had ever prayed, all of us guys, that our name was on that list, but I had a good friend of mine named Mickey, and his name happened to be on the list, he was an upperclassman, he was a, a year or two older than I was, and uh, he, he was on that list, and he was kind of down there as one of the anchor men, I, I don't know, they may have gave him eight or ten minutes to preach because he was an upperclassman and I'll never forget this is going to be the first time I was going to hear uh, my friend preach and he got up and he chose probably the most difficult name in the Old Testament to preach on Mephibosheth now that was Jonathan's son Saul's grandson and he started out with his message on Mephibosheth and bless his pee-picking heart, he could never pronounce it. I don't care how many times. You know he had preached this sermon in the mirror a dozen times before he got up there, but he could not get it right to save his life in front of those hundreds of people that were out there. And here he is standing in probably one of the biggest, at that time, biggest venues in Pentecost, biggest church in Pentecost, and he is uh, having a little trouble pronouncing that name because there's, certain things in the Word of God that's hard for us to pronounce. But can I tell you 
that the hardest words are not those jaw-breaking, multiple-syllable words that come to mind when you're thinking about the hardest words to say. I've, I've heard more than one state that the hardest word in the Bible, the hardest word in the Bible, and this is their opinion, is the word no. And granted, I admit that it's difficult sometimes for us to pucker up our lips and to pronounce that resolute word that seems so final, and that is the word no. Sometimes it's hard to say no. Sometimes it's hard to say no to certain people and to certain things. I don't ever want to underestimate the importance of saying no. In fact, you will never be successful living for God unless you learn how to say no to some things in life. Come on now, help me preach a little bit. I'm not going to be long tonight, but I'm just going to preach what I feel. I've been feeling this on my heart for the last several days. If you're going to live for God, you're going to have to learn how to say no. If you're going to be effective and successful in your relationship with the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to say no to the devil. You're going to have to learn how to say no to your flesh. You're going to have to learn how to say no to carnality that is around you. Can you say praise the Lord? When Moses came down from that mountain, he brought with him ten commandments. And all but just two of those ten, eight of them had a form of this word no at the beginning. They said, Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. So you cannot ignore the negative of this this, uh, word of God and the negative part. You know, every battery has a positive and a negative post that produces power, and they working together produce power. And as sure as there's a positive message, and as sure as there is a positive and an affirmative word in the Bible and a message that is positive in the Word of God, there is also that part of us that has to be disciplined to say no. You cannot ignore the no. Paul had a similar list that he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers. I used to call that word idolaters. Didn't understand that one. It was hard for me to say. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The apostle is teaching here that if you're going to make heaven, if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to learn how to say no. You're going to have to get some backbone about you. You're going to have to plant your feet and take a stand at some point, and I dare say many times in life, you're going to have to take a stand and be willing to say no. In order to live righteously, in order to please God, in order to receive his blessings, you've got to learn how to say no. Yet it is my opinion tonight that no is really not the most challenging word in the Bible. I know I've told you, and, and they have a good case, that, that some people say it's their opinion that The word no is the most difficult and the hardest word in the word of God. But I'm telling you tonight, I disagree. I do not believe that the word no is the hardest word in the Bible. Many people can learn how to discipline themselves into saying no. 
Many people that don't even have the Holy Ghost, that are not spiritual, can discipline their flesh to say no. But they never learn in their lives the joy of saying yes unto God. It's easier sometimes to say no to the devil than it is to say yes to God. Now, I don't expect you to agree with that right now, but you just let me preach a little while and you'll understand what I'm talking about. I want to reaffirm that statement that it's easier sometimes to say no to the devil than it is to say yes to God. I've seen people that had incredible discipline that were not righteous, that were sinners, that were ungodly, that did not live according to the Word of God, did not possess the power of the Holy Ghost, but they had disciplined themselves to do incredible feats. I don't know. uh, I've not met many people. Uh, I think a few times I've met people that have, have ran a marathon. But that's an incredible thing to me to think about somebody that can discipline their physical body to the point that they can run, what is it, 26.2 miles, and uh, they can run, and, and they tell me, these that, that, that run this race all the time, they tell me that really it's the last two miles that is the most difficult. I've heard some of them write about it and uh, talk about it, that the last two miles is the most difficult. I'm going to tell you, the first two miles is the most difficult for me. First 200 yards is the most difficult for me. But the last two miles, I'm going to tell you, if you can run 20, if you can run 24.2 miles, you would think that you could get the last two out. But they say, really, that is the most difficult. Now, in the Boston Marathon, they have what is called heartbreak heel. I don't know. I think it's positioned towards the end of the race. But this is a breaking point for many people. It's not that it's just an entirely steep hill, but it's a grade that is positioned in in a point in the race when you're already just about rung out. And it's a long grade that goes for a long ways. And it's here that many people give up. And that's why it is called heartbreak hill. I'm going to tell you, the devil knows how to position opposition. He knows how to He knows how to position his resistance, his attacks, his temptation at a strategic point in this race to try to get us to give up. He knows how to come against you in ways that he knows. He knows that you at that particular point would be susceptible to that attack. He's a study of our nature. Yes, he is. And uh, it, but it's just it's just amazing to me that people can look uh, at, at 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 this at this thing uh, race of of twenty six point two miles and say you know what I'm going to condition myself to be a part of that and I'm going to train myself and they eat the right diet and they condition themselves every day and they run now if you're going to run a twenty six point two mile race. You, you, can't, you can't just get out there on the day of the race and say, you know what, I think I'm going to make it to the finish line today. It doesn't work like that. You've got to condition yourself. And they've got to run beyond that amount. And they've got to run certain things and train certain ways to get their body and their lungs and their heart rate to the point that it can handle such punishment because really there is a lot of punishment that would go in to a race like this. Now I'm not talking about those people that walk the 26.2 miles. I'm talking about those people that run the 26.2 miles. 26.2 miles and they do it in a little over two hours. That's amazing to me. But then I got to reading about these people that are in what I think is called mega marathons where it's over a hundred miles that they have trained and conditioned themselves to run a hundred miles without stopping. Now they say there's certain tribes of people, certain places that they're genetically more conditioned for this and they're used to this and their people have been doing this for years. But they call these guys the ultra or something, ultra athletes, extreme uh, athletes, and, and these men run over 100 miles, men and women run over 100 miles without stopping. Woo! 
How would you like to run? Uh, how would you like to run to Little Rock and back? I know that's over a hundred miles up there, but th- there's people that are able to do that. There's people that are able to accomplish that. Why? Because they have disciplined themselves. They have conditioned themselves. And there's a whole lot of days that they have to say no to the aches and pains of their bodies to do that. They have to say no to their favorite foods. They have to say no to their instincts and their longings and their cravings to be able to do that. I'm not taking away from the power of the no. I'm going to tell you, uh, you have to discipline yourself. There's times when you don't feel like praying, you're going to have to pray. There's times you don't feel like worshiping, you're going to have to worship. There's times you don't even feel like coming to the house of God. But you drag your flesh in here because you know it's not up to the flesh. But your spirit man needs to be fed something. Your spirit man needs strength for tomorrow. So you better come to the house of the Lord. It takes discipline to do that. So I'm not taken away from that. But so many people have learned to discipline themselves in certain ways. They've learned how to deny themselves certain things. We know the scripture says that you've got to deny yourself and take up the cross. But in that place of denial is where some people stop. Aren't you thankful that this life living for God is not just a place where you recycle at the altar repentance, 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 repentance and coming back not ever having the power to overcome not ever having the power to be victorious not ever having the power to be free I'm thankful that we can all repent most of us have to repent daily Paul said I die daily that is a type of repentance when you die out you have to die out to your will you have to die out to your flesh but I'm going to tell you it's not just this altar and this place of repentance is not where you stop But I'm thankful that's where it all starts. I'm thankful that's where it all begins as an altar, at an altar of repentance. I'm thankful that's not the end of it. Some some people, some denominations, and some churches, that's what they believe. That all you got to do is repent, and that's the end of it. But I'm thankful that's not the end of this. Uh, That's just the beginning of this. This is not just a message of no. It's not just a message of denying your flesh. It's not just a message of disciplining yourself. But it's a message of saying yes unto God and saying, God, I need you in my life and I yield my life to you. Oh, come on. Let's clap our hands and worship the Lord together. discipline themselves in certain ways and even folks can discipline themselves to become what seems to be. You got to be careful with this. I'm going to tell you there's people that don't have the truth that can outfast most of us. There's people that don't have the truth that can outpray a lot of us as far as length of time. But does that in and of itself make them spiritual? No, in living for God, you must do more than reject the devil. You must do more than reject evil and reject sin. But somewhere along the way, you've got to learn to embrace God. You've got to learn to allow and to yield yourself. That's what we call it. We call it yielding to God. You cannot receive anything from the Lord unless you yield yourself to receive it now. None of you received the gift of the Holy Ghost and your self-will remaining intact. Come on, none of you received uh, the Holy Ghost without yielding yourself to God. That's, that's how you receive this wonderful 
gift of the Holy Ghost. You, you, of course, have got to reject the world. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to die out. Amen. But then you've got to yield yourself. Yield your, Some of us, it took a little while for us to get to that place. Some of us, it took a little while for us to work through uh, to that point where we could yield ourselves to God. But aren't you thankful that you yielded yourself to the Spirit of God and His Spirit came on the inside? It wasn't just something that remained on the outside, but it comes down and indwells you now. And because it indwells you, you have power. You have power to conquer. You have power to overcome. You have power to live a victorious life. You have power to overcome the things that used to bind you and to suppress you and hold you down. Things that used to condemn you. Things that used to keep you back from really being what you wanted to be for God. Suddenly when you got the Holy Ghost, you had power over that. Amen, 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 amen. And the only way that you can receive that is to yield yourself to God and to Satan. And everybody said, yes. Pharisees were people that knew how to say no. Yeah. But that didn't make them spiritual because they never learned how to say yes to the Lord. They never learned how to yield, and, and their saying no became a matter of pride for them. It became a matter of haughtiness to them. And I fear that in some circles we see that even today, that a person's disciplines and their needed disciplines have become their religion, and they never learn how to say yes to God, yes to revival, Yes to the mandate of the scripture of reaching our world. Come on, I don't care how holy you are. If you don't have a love for souls, there's something wrong. Oh, I think I'll say it again. If, I don't care how holy you are. If you don't love and have compassion for souls, there's something wrong with your religion, my brother. Because if you really get the holiness of God on the inside of you, you're going to love and have compassion for lost humanity. That just goes hand in hand. It's not enough just to say no to your flesh. you got to say yes unto God. And that's where the power is. When we say yes God I'm going to let you use me. Yes God I'm going to let you anoint me. Yes God I'm going to let you direct my path. Yes God I'm going to let you use me to be a witness. I'm going to let you use me to be a worshiper. I'm going to let you use me to be a prayer warrior. The power is in the yes. Can I just be transparent? I have prayed that God, over the years, I prayed it for this church. I prayed it for this city. That God, you would give me, and I pray this could become your prayer. Give me a compassion. Now, compassion is not compromise. Really, it's the other way. I'm going to tell you, if you're a compromiser, you really don't love souls. Come on, if you just let folks do whatever they want to do and just don't even tell them the truth and just lie to them and pat them on the back and tell them they're all right when they're not, you don't love souls. It's through telling them the truth that you win people to God. But I have prayed, I have prayed over and over again, God, give me a compassion for this church, for people. You know, people can disappoint you. People can upset you. People can let you down. People can discourage you at times. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to keep your compassion alive for souls. Come on, you can't lose your love for souls. You can't lose your love for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. They may fail. They, there's some I know over the years we've watched, and, and maybe they come and go, come and go, come and go, and we can develop an attitude. You know what? If they don't live for God, bless their heart, they just need to stay away from here. I'm going to tell you, that may be true, but if they ever make up their mind to live for God, there needs to be room in this altar for them to be able to come. They need to find a compassionate church that is there cheering them on. Not judging them, but cheering them on and saying, I'm going to celebrate the fact that you come back home. We don't need an elder brother spirit that says, you know what? If he'd have been like me and just stayed here 
and, uh, and stayed in the Father's house. We wouldn't have to go through all this. And we would have to make such a big deal over it. I'm going to tell you, that, that spirit should not exist in the church. We should celebrate. We should be thrilled. The Bible said all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes to God. I'm telling you, everybody in this church, when somebody's child comes back home, when somebody's backslidden family member finds a way to an altar, when, when somebody that's been a part of us suddenly decides, I'm sick of sin, sick of the world, and they come to this house. There needs to be people dancing in these aisles. There needs to be people rejoicing about it. There needs to be folks excited about it. Because you know what I have seen over time is I have seen that a lot of times if we'll keep giving them a chance, uh, it'll catch hold. It'll take at some point and they'll begin to walk with God and live for the Lord like they need to. But if we cut them off before they ever get to that point or have that opportunity to really get what they need, then they'll never have that opportunity or chance to find God. I'm looking at people in this congregation tonight that that is a fact with you. That is true with you. You, you kept, you kept uh, coming back. You kept praying back through. And I don't know what happened, but in time it took and suddenly you got what you needed and you're living a victorious life today and you're uh, an integral part of this church uh, right now because you just kept on coming and we kept on clearing a space for you and making room for you and praying for you. We didn't scratch you off a prayer list and you're here today. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. But you, you got to get to the place. You're not just about what you reject. But you're able to say yes to the Lord. Luke 18 and 18. A certain ruler, and we call him the rich young ruler, came to Jesus and said, Good master. He said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord quickly said, why callest thou me good? And you, you know the statements that he made. And then he said, thou knowest the commandments. And he began to list them. He, these are the no's. These are things you ought to have figured out. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Let me just rephrase this. No bearing false witness, no, no stealing, no thieving. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he, he lists these no's, if I could say it that way. These commandments. This is what you don't do. These are the no's. These are the things you got to reject. And that rich young ruler adjusted his robe, stuck his chest out, and got a prideful look on his face and answered with a stoic voice. He said, all of these I have kept from my youth. Evidently, he came from a godly home. He was raised in a God-fearing environment. He had been taught these things from the time he was a child and he had lived a disciplined life. And he hadn't been a liar and a thief and an adulterer and a fornicator. And a, he hadn't been one that had dishonored his parents. But he had been a child that they could have a certain amount of admiration for because of his lifestyle. And no doubt, even at a young age, they were able to give him his inheritance because he was a responsible young man as far as financially. This was a young guy that by looking at him and on the surface it appeared like he had it all together. Praise the Lord. He had learned how to say no. He had learned and disciplined himself to what to reject. There's temptation that he learned how to say no to. When the devil come against him and tried to attack him and tried to bring him down and destroy him, tried to lure him into things that 
many times young men could be an easy target for, this young man proved to be able to say no to those things. But the Lord said as he was adjusting the folds of his robe and getting ready uh, possibly for there to be a commendable statement made about him, the Lord looked at him and said, Yet there is one thing that thou lackest. He said, Sell all that belongs to you, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And this young man that knew how to say no could not say yes to the Lord. I'm telling you, sometimes it's easier to say no to the devil than it is to say yes to God. And I'm going to get it on down here where we're all living before it's over with. But it it is hard for us sometimes to yield ourselves to be obedient to God and His will. It may be easy for us after we have decided and made the decision that we're going to commit and we're going to discipline ourselves in some way to say no to some of the urges of the flesh. We know the detriments of that. We know what that leads to and the destruction that is behind all of that. But but we, we learn how to say no, but that's not the end of the matter. Somewhere you've got to learn how to say yes to God. That's right. That's right. You can't just be someone that rejects certain things, but you've got to be one that in rejecting the world, you embrace the things of God. Let me give you another illustration. Luke eleven twenty five, the Bible says, and Jesus told this story, and it perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about tonight. The Bible said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, that spirit walketh through dry places, seeking rest. It goes away. It has to leave. Why? Because the owner of that house, and we know the house here is speaking about our soul. It's talking about our spiritual life. Has evicted that spirit. Has said, no, you cannot live here. You're a trespasser. You cannot exist here. You cannot find rest here any longer. I'm not going to allow you to live here anymore. You've got to go. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to live for God, you've got to make some rearrangements in your life. You, you've got to adjust some things in your life. You can't continue to have the same friends and the same influences and listen to the same things and watch the same things and go to the same places and still live for God. You've got to empty your house, my brother. You've got to kick some things out that are not of God. You've got to tell that spirit, you've got to go. No longer am I going to exist with you. No longer are we going to co-inhabit this place together. No longer is it going to be that way. But you've got to go. I say no to you. I say no to the devil. I say no to those friends. I say no to those influences. I say no to that temptation. I say no to whatever it is that used to dominate my life. But it said that spirit's still out there lurking. It's still out there prowling around like a predator. How many knows that's what the devil is? He's a predator. He's looking again, like I said this morning, for an opening. He's looking for somebody that'll allow him to come back in. He's looking to find his residence and a place he cannot... He cannot su- survive and just live out there. He, he's got to have a host. He's, he's got to have a place. You take a parasite, it's got to have a host. It cannot live on its own. It lives by uh, being uh, inside or dwelling on that host. And that's the way the devil is. He's a hitchhiker. He's a piggybacker. He, he's got to have a host like a parasite. He's going he's to find somebody to get connected with, someone that will allow him to come in. And he goes around and he takes his leisure and finally he comes back to check on that same house that he used to inhabit. Have you ever noticed that houses that are left empty, they just self-destruct? I don't know what it is about it, but you let a house get vacant for any period of time. The shutters will go crooked. 
The grass, of course, will grow up. Paint starts crinkling up on the walls. Dust accumulates on everything. Leaks will start forming in the ceiling. I mean, it's incredible what happens. It's, it's really fascinating to watch the deterioration of a home that is left vacant. This person, this individual has ran this spirit out, but has never replaced it with anything. And so that spirit comes back and says, he finds it swept and garnished and clean. And he said, you know what? He's not replaced. He's not replaced me with anything. And so I'm going to take up residence here again. And he brings seven spirits that are worse than himself back to inhabit that house with him. I'm going to tell you, it's not enough. For you to come down to an altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be this. I don't want to do that again. And never yield yourself to the Holy Ghost. Because if you sweep and garnish that house and you don't get a spirit of God on the inside of you that gives you power to overcome sin, you're going to end up being worse than you were at your first state. You're going to find yourself recycling that evil over and over and over again. That's why it won't do for you just to come down here and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to confess my sin. I want to give my heart to you. I appreciate all the sincerity of those personal Savior folks. But if you want a personal Savior, you're going to have to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the unfilling of the Holy Ghost. Because the devil loves an empty house. The devil's looking for a place where he can occupy. He's looking for that vacancy sign hanging in the window. But if you've got God living on the inside, if you've got the Spirit of the Lord inhabiting you, if you've been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no entry. There's no trespassing. He cannot cross that bloodline into your house. Come on, let's lift up our hands and worship the Lord right now. So it's important that you just not say no to the devil. But in that, you say yes to God. Amen? Israel was able to say no. No more, Pharaoh. No more, Egypt. No more being a taskmaster. No more being a slave. I'm sick of this. And you've got to get to that point that you're sick of sin. The Bible said that they cried out by reason of their affliction. Drug counselors call it this. They call it reaching the bottom. Getting down to base level. Before a person can turn around, before a person can get help, they got to get to the bottom. I'm going to tell you, you got to get sick of sin. As long as sin is attractive to you, as long as sin is alluring to you, as long as you look when sin is there, then you haven't gotten it out of your heart. You have to get to the place that you no longer want the world and you no longer want sin. But it's not enough just to get to that place that you reject sin. you got to get to the place that you yield yourself to God and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because there's not one of us that in our flesh and in our own strength are able or have the ability to live above sin and be faithful to God without having the power of the Holy Ghost within us. You can't just say no. You got to say yes. Egypt, they said no to it. But when it came time to cross the Jordan and go into the promises of God, they couldn't say yes. They could believe God for deliverance, but they couldn't believe God to fulfill His promise. They could believe God to eradicate them from a life of sa- uh, to take them out of a life of sa- slavery and, 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 and servitude to an enemy. But they could not believe God 
that he was able, that same one that delivered them and took them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, that make them, made them wealthy as a nation, they could not believe that that same God could bring them into the promises of God or the promised land. I'm going to tell you, the same faith that it took for you to believe God that he could forgive you of your sins. The same faith that it took when you come down here and repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you of them. If you can believe he can forgive you of them, then you ought to believe that he can fill you with the Holy Ghost tonight. Because it's the same God that washes and cleanses you and his blood washes those sins away. He has the same ability to fill you with the power of his spirit. And it takes the same faith to get that as it did to get uh, remission, as it did to get repentance of sins and, and to get forgiveness of those sins. All of that. It takes the same faith to believe God. You need to have the power to say yes. Yes, God, I believe you. Yes, God, I trust you. Yes, God, I put in your hands hands. I went to God somebody stand up right now and throw up your hands in the air and say yes Lord. Hallelujah God. I read it this morning but let me read it again and they, they tell me Theologians that I've studied say that this is the the focum. This is the center point. This is the, if you had to distill the book of Romans down to one chapter, if you had to exclude every other chapter and only keep one, which would it be? Which would carry the theme of the book? It would be this chapter, chapter 8. And what does it talk about? It talks about Yielding to the Spirit and saying no to the flesh. Romans 8, there is therefore now, we read it this morning, condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, that have learned how to say no, that have learned how to deny their flesh. That have learned how to say, no, not me. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not involving myself. You've got to learn that discipline. But how do I do that? How can I continually say no to the devil? Is it because I've learned some kind of supernatural strength or I've disciplined and conditioned myself to be able to do certain things? No, the only way I can really truly do that, walk not after the flesh is by walking, the second part of this verse, by walking after the Spirit. Only way I can deny and say no to this flesh is by yielding and saying yes to the Spirit of God. Only way I can say no to the devil is to continually say yes to God and be obedient to Him and His Word and continue to follow Him. And I'm going to tell you, every day in this journey, you're taking another step. When you're saying yes to God, you're taking another step. You're going a little further. You're becoming a little bit more committed. You're, become, you're going a little further. You're, we're all walking towards. We're all pilgrims and sojourners in this wor- world, in this earth. We're just passing through. This is all just temporal. There's nothing about this as an eternal thing, but we're all walking towards eternity, one step at a time, and as we yield to him one step at a time, as we allow him to order our steps one step at a time, the, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, and we keep on saying yes, tomorrow I'm going to say yes to God, when I get, when I get to Tuesday I'm going to say yes to God, when I come here on Wednesday night I'm going to say yes to God, Thursday I'm going to say yes to God, when it rolls around next weekend, if next weekend comes and the Lord tarries, I'm going to keep on saying yes to God. I'm not going to sit back on my haunches. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to say yes. When it comes prayer time, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say yes. When it comes giving time, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say yes. Somebody say yes right now. Come on, let there be a shout ringing in this house. Yes! Woo, clap your hands to the Lord.
It's how you live for God. It's how you make it. How many is interested in making it? How many is interested in being saved? You won't make it all the way. You didn't come this far to stumble around and miss out. You didn't get to this point to make some kind of mistake and run this far to trip and fall and fall out of the race. But your desire is to make it. I want to make it. I want to go to heaven. I want to be right. The only way I can do that is keep saying no to my flesh and keep saying yes to the things of the Spirit. That's how I'm going to make it. You can't, I'm going to talk to you now. You can't squeeze that voice of the Spirit out and say, you know what, crowd it out. There's so many voices in this world. The Bible said there's none of them without consequence. And they're speaking. And sometimes they're speaking loudly. Go this way. Go do that. Involve yourself in this. Who cares? No consequences here. Trying to convince you to give in to whatever desire your flesh Whatever whim that your flesh wants to walk down. But if you'll listen, you'll hear the voice of the Spirit. Sometimes it's tender. Sometimes it's so gentle. And if you're not being sensitive, you won't even hear it. But it's saying no. Say no to that. And by saying no to that, say yes. Yes. Yes to God. Say yes Say yes to His Word. Say yes to the things of the Spirit. And that's how you walk with God. That's how you make it to heaven. One step at a time. I wonder if there's anybody that feels compelled here to say yes to the Lord. It's not enough for you just to say no to certain things. But you've got to say yes to God. That's why we have altar services like this. It's not about just us coming up here and affirming what what was preached or what was said or what was taught. But this is an opportunity for you to say yes to the anointed Word of God that has went forth. It's an opportunity for you to open up your heart and say, God, whatever is in that that I need, whatever I need to receive from what was preached tonight and said tonight, and every service counts, I want to say yes to it. I don't want to be a person that says no. If you're a guest here tonight, there's urges and there's desires and there's conflicting emotions that go on even in a church service like this. You got a voice on this side saying, oh, that's not all that necessary. Talking about all that necessity of the Holy Ghost and Jesus' name, baptism, and all that, that requirement. And then there's a small voice that's speaking to you, saying, yeah, but if you'll just say yes to me, you'll understand it. I'll reveal it to you. I'll show you. I'll help you. Sometimes we stand in a service like this and we say, you know, man, you don't realize how much I got to overcome. You don't know what I'm going home to. You don't know the person I've been for the last seven, eight years. You don't know all the things, all the friends, all the ties to the world. You know how you can overcome that? It's by saying yes to the Lord in a service just like this. And taking one step out of that pew. And putting one foot out in front of another. And each time you take a step, what are you doing? You're saying yes. 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 I believe that. I yield to that. I open up my heart to that. I say yes to that. And God comes in and He helps us. And no, I'm not, I'm not going to say you're going to be uh, an apostle in two weeks. But, but if you just keep saying yes to God, He's going to anoint you. He's going to bless you. He's going to favor your life. He's going to help you to overcome. And, and you're going to be what you need to be if you just keep on saying yes to God. I'm inviting everyone right now 
I'm inviting everyone to say yes to him and step out from where you are and make your way to this front and say, God, I'm yielding myself. I'm opening up my heart to you. I'm going to quit questioning. I'm going to quit trying to logically figure everything out, trying to brainstorm my way to an answer. God, I'm going to say yes to you. I may not understand everything that was preached tonight. I may not understand everything there is about the Spirit, but I'm going to say yes because I know that something about this is connecting with me. It's something about this Word tonight that is that is touching a chord and striking a chord in my heart. And I just want to yield myself to the Lord. I want to yield myself to the Lord. That's why we raise our hands as we're saying yes. I surrender. I give my all. Everything I am, I yield to you. I wonder all across this altar area, people would raise their hands and say, God, I surrender everything. I yield everything. 